Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I have an embarrassing admission, Adam. This is going to be a weird episode. Wow. Okay. I watched the first 15 minutes of this episode two weeks ago. <laughs> Ooh. And then, and I think what happened was we were we were going to sit down and record two episodes and I was just starting in on this this episode, and you were like, hey, dude, there's no way I can do two today. We've got to do one. So I was like, oh, fuck it. I won't finish this episode. I'll just, I'll just like, rewatch it later. But then I forgot that, th- that I had made that decision. And, <laughs> so. and Netflix or whatever told you that this, like, like they marked it as complete. Yeah, I, I do not, I have no loyalty on the, uh, on the streaming service I use to watch Deep Space Nine. You're a streaming whore. I bounce back and forth. I sometimes watch I it on say, CBS All Access. You're a streaming sex worker. That, was, that yes. was not the right thing to say. Yeah. Are you a person who handwrites notes for this show? Because the reason that I always know what episode we're doing is because I, I use the notes app. And I always I always have that organized in, in order of season... And I'm Adam. I'm so organized. I never forget anything. That's not what I said or how I said it. <laughs> uh, I did have notes and I... I you know what it is, I, Ben? It's, I'm Adam. I can't remember anything because my brain is fucking dumb. So I need to write every <laughs> fucking thing down so I don't look like an idiot in front of my wife and my friends. That's actually I, what's happening here. I looked at my notebook and there was like what looked to be a full amount of notes hmm. for season four, episode 14. And so I said, I must be on season four, episode 15. And I watched that wow. first thing this morning. And then I watched episode 16. So Ooh. I'm actually ahead. But you're out I, there. I was sitting down and I realized like, oh shit, like I, I'm not ahead. And I had to scramble and watch the last you know 35 minutes of this episode so i don't really remember how the beginning part goes (laughs) you might have to i might lean on you for a plot synopsis in that part i got you this is all in service of of something important though oh okay more important than the show it's in service of the fact that you just turned 40 and we were going on a trip to celebrate your birthday oh yeah that's yeah. why I was crunched for time. That's why you were crunched for time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We were recording right up against uh, our out day. So yeah, yeah, that was a thing. Those were heady times. Your birthday made me as sick as I have ever felt. <laughs> I don't know how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> Your actual birthday was super fun, but uh, we were in we were in Mexico, and uh, I caught something. Probably, probably a food-related pathogen got into me, and the day after, I was I was super duper sick. Yeah, a lot of speculation about what exactly happened, but like, like many trips to Mexico, my wife thinks it's a moral failing on my part. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she's uh, she's just happy that uh, she didn't have to uh, dodge your touch over yeah, the course yeah. of that trip. You were too sick to perform. <laughs> she definitely had the like was taking care of me, but also was like, "What? You're fucking sick? Oh, come on." Well, I mean, I because it was like initially it seemed like I just had a bad hangover, you know. I mean, that was the speculation. I'll tell you, the speculation from the group was, boy, Ben really went for it last night. What the fuck? (laughs) And I say that not in a, at the time of the partying, you were acting out of control or anything. It was just like, only in retrospect did we truly understand the the depravity that that you were into at the time. I, 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 did, I didn't get out of control, and I didn't drink particularly more or less than anybody else, I don't think. That, no, that's what I'm saying. So so the next day, we were all like, wow, he must have had a lot more than we thought, because uh, that, yeah. that was- He must the... have been sneaking butt shots of Ricea. I mean, there was a lot of pool drinking happening. I'll, t- I'll give yeah. you my, my theory, Ben, was that you drank mm. pool water on accident. <laughs> That pool water was pretty heinous. Because uh, the pool water, for a lot of the trip, fairly cloudy Yeah. Uh, by virtue of all of the pool drinking we were doing, and that once you filled up the pool with our entire party of people, it was pretty full. It was like yeah. hot tub filled. Mm. Yeah, that's what you want. You want, a, you want a thick pool. Well, you got a thick pool, baby. <laughs> that was a great great time and i'm so glad that uh you and your wife were there to celebrate my my big milestone it was amazing and it was really fun to be there with uh you and and all your all your friends like the the group of uh, of people you have in your life is really great and uh it felt really special to to get to participate in that well uh you're in Four the group, zero, man big year yeah right i you know before during and now doesn't doesn't quite feel like it like i i just feel like we had a great big party in a fun place uh and that my my age was was sort of inconsequential but uh i'm really glad everyone was there and and you guys especially it was super fun it was great man well do you want to get into this episode that i'm going to vaguely (laughs) remember what happened in yeah why not let's do it it's uh, it's Deep Space Nine, season four, episode fourteen, Sons of Moog. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. So this one starts with War fighting swords with Dax, and I remember this as being pretty steamy. Uh, you're not wrong. Because it's the sort of fighting that happens in a Conan film where there's like a lot of uh, close up <laughs> sword play and uh, sword play to the degree that like you're close enough to kiss the person you're sword fighting with uh-huh. at certain times. Like <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. Here's the question that would, be I, a, that would be a great way to distract an enemy, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, you just go for some smooching, just plant one on them. Hey, <laughs> this is clearly a uh, a hollow sweet program, and we know this because at the end of the scene you hear a door called for and a door appearing. The sound effect of it, though, is a Enterprise arch appearance and a door open, which I thought was a little incongruent oh. for a uh, for a hollow suite. Do you think that they just knew that we would know what that sound meant, but not necessarily that there's there's 
an analogous sound for a Ferengi hollow suite, but we just haven't learned what that is. I think so. so. They couldn't lean on that. It's like you you either have to show it or use a sound effect, right? Yeah, and uh, if you are two-thirds of the way through a season and you're starting to uh, scrutinize your budget in a line producer kind of way, uh, you're probably <laughs> just going to play the sound effect at this point and not, <laughs> and not throw to Arch. Yeah, it's like it's either a $10,000 special effect or something that's essentially free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ben, I was wondering if, like, from all we know about Worf, he's a guy who does his calisthenics with the safeties off. Do you think that those are the settings he uses with Dax? Like, what would happen if a mechleth went into a shoulder blade here? Is that... (laughs) A human female would not be strong enough for my calisthenics program. <laughs> like, what if he? Uh, what if he inadvertently C-sectioned the uh, ankylosaur? It just goes out flying across the room. <laughs> <laughs> would that be the grossest thing ever to happen in Star Trek? <laughs> what if the uh, What if the ankylosaur comes flying out, but then like lands in a three-point stance, like a superhero, and then <laughs> and then starts kicking ass and. Taking out NPCs. It's wet and it lands in the sand, and then it's just—it's so dirty. You'll—you'll never get it clean again. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a—it's like a sneaker that you wear on the beach. This feels like the beginning of something between Dax and Worf, and it makes me wonder whatever happened to Worf and Troy, which was yeah. like the last hot and heavy relationship that Worf had. There was no no moment attempt to write that out. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder. Is there? A, I mean, it, I'm I'm all for this Dax Wharf shit, but I do feel like maybe in the last episode you could have just had some like like since Counselor Troy dumped me, <laughs> since, since, since I caught since I caught Counselor Troy sleeping with my brother. <laughs> Counselor Troy dumped me via subspace message. That is <laughs> who does wi- that without honor. <laughs> <laughs> I cried out to the heavens to let them know a warrior's relationship was coming. <laughs> let Stovacor know that a warrior is single. <laughs> Special moment in this episode, Ben, because it's Mocktoberfest time for Kern, which means uh, <laughs> it's all you can eat gach and uh, $1 blood wine all month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Quark is wearing lederhosen down at uh, Quark's bar to if get into the If only we had that Klingon things. restaurant there still, right? This would be perfect. That guy was great. And, and put him in lederhosen, that would be very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit because uh, Kern has boarded the station drunk. And, yeah. uh, and he gets... Worf gets called out of his Hollow Sweet program to go meet him. and uh, He gets called out of like an almost about to put a kiss on Dax yeah. in order to go meet Kern. Yeah, kind of kisses interrupt us. And yeah, Kern, Kern is, uh, is a very angry dude. Miserable Kurtz! Easy. None of us Kurtz is going to hurt you. The deal is Kern has been sort of, has been sort of blindsided by all of the super high-level political decisions that Worf has been a party to. And what's happened is that the House of Moog has fallen into fairly ill repute. 
That's right. By not joining Gowron in the Klingon War, he brought great shame upon his family. So much shame that uh, the Klingon government took away their seat on the High Council, took away their land, and took away their ships. So Kern is pretty pissed off about this. Justifiably, I think. You get a couple things with Kern when he shows up in a certain place, especially a place uh, where Worf is. He he makes fun of the textiles, and uh, <laughs> and and everything that Worf interacts with. Like he hates his food, he hates his clothes, he hates his couch. He really thinks that Worf has gone soft, and he's looking around for it, that turkey dinner. He's basically saying you've got to check your Starfleet privilege. Like these decisions you're making are splashing over on me and I'm fucked. Yeah. And I have no honor anymore and it's all your fault. And the only way you can make it up to me is by uh, dipping a knife in some poison and sticking it into me. You were totally right earlier by saying that Kern's gripe is sound. And it's sort of fucked that Worf makes all these decisions without considering Kern at all. Worf makes decisions without considering Alexander or Troy, for that matter. Right. Worf is a bad person. <laughs> I Yeah, I think we're starting From to- From a cons- certain read. <laughs> yeah, we're starting to construct a thesis that goes like that, right? I think this episode is a lot about him kind of confronting that, but I'm not sure. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but yeah. I'm not sure. Like, I mean- how about just the fact that he gives Kern a glass of unrefrigerated green chartreuse as a hangover cure? For your head. Does that work? I know you're, no! you're a chartreuseman from back in the day. I love chartreuse, but I would never drink it the morning after. Yeah, a big warm glass of it just sounds very syrupy and not refreshing. Yeah. I'm not really sure like what the what the most traditional way to drink chartreuse is, but I like it with a big piece of ice. I also like it that way. I mean, this glass, it looks like a great glass, like a nice square-sided rocks glass, and you put like a big, a big giant, large format ice cube in there with some chartreuse. That would be great. Not, not on hangover morning, but it would be a great drink. You know, Kern is complaining about that large format ice, too. <laughs> <laughs> This is not the ice of a warrior. Which Your as Federation a- two-inch ice cube with no cloudiness because you have removed all of the air and impurities. The D7 ice machine famously dispenses pebble ice. The ice <laughs> of a warrior. It crunches so pleasantly. <laughs> I love Tony Todd in this episode, man. Yeah, he's the fucking best. And he sort of uh, writes over the tape that was the old Jake Sisko episode of earlier in the season. Like, this is this is peak Tony Todd. This is what he needs to be doing. He doesn't need to slum it with old Jake Sisko. I mean, I love that Tony Todd, like an actor of the caliber of Tony Todd is like a, a recurring... yeah guest actor on this show and they're and they have strategies for putting him in multiple different characters like you want to strategically deploy tony tad yeah it's one of the great things about star trek yeah i like that he's he's sort of there uh you know remember like the rushmore players he's like uh he's like a regular <laughs> he's like the philip seymour hoffman of deep space nine <laughs> <laughs> he's great golden cotton we cut to O'Brien and Kira doing a runabout mission, and uh, 
I really liked their kind of like the uh, Kira trying to trying to get a lay flat bed in the in the front of the runabout. I love her improvised lay flat. That's fun. Yeah, it's good. It's it's impressive that these runabout seats can do that. She puts in a, a hard eight hours of sleep up there too. I'm I'm shocked. I didn't. There I didn't... are bunks in the back of the <laughs> runabout. <laughs> That's great, but uh, she probably just wanted to remain vigilant, you know? Yeah. She's a little worried about going back there and getting great big long fingernails, so. <laughs> you think we- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that rumor went around the the D after, yeah, yeah, yeah. after that mission was over, right? And you oh, know O'Brien yeah. told Kira all about Oh, yeah, about she was it. like walking back there and it's like, you know... <laughs> You could get great big long fingernails if you go back there. I'd recommend not grabbing the fruit. <laughs> Stair clear at a fruit bowl. <laughs> uh, they they don't get long to talk about the fruit bowls or anything else because a mystery space banger gets dropped on them. It's like a, a what was that? And they're scanning it and it's like, it seems like an explosion that happened really close and we're we're really close to Bajoran space but uh, it does not add up and they and they start to speculate that a cloaked ship might have exploded so they scan for life forms ben mm. they scan and scan till uh, I love doing that <laughs> until... I even sing a little song when I uh, when I do that adam i know yeah I sing, no one... life forms you precious little life Farms, you tiny little life farms, where are you? My preference would be for no backing music there. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just you singing that into the void. Wow. The void that is my unsmiling face. Oh, man. <laughs> thought we were pals. The coronar decloaks to tell them that uh, there's nothing to see here, guys. We're doing a war game, so you guys can just fuck right off. This is none of your business. And it's like the uh, like we're following the letter, not the spirit of uh, international treaties kind of yeah. thing. Like we we've given you the one warning we are required by law to give you, and if you if you hang around any longer, we're gonna fucking kill you. It's a real throwback to old Star Trek. The iciness between the Federation and the Klingons is is very pronounced here. It's back, baby. Yeah, it, it's like a Star Trek six level of iciness. <laughs> there will be no dinners on Deep Space Nine. Plan. Yeah, Chartreuse ought to be outlawed. <laughs> oh, anyone reading a radiation surge? <laughs> <laughs> Only the uh, size of Kern's head, evidently. <laughs> Dax heads down to her customary hot and heavy mechleth fight with Worf, which is apparently now a uh, a routine bit of business. Yeah. And uh, Gork is preparing a couple of hangover cures, and he's like, "Oh yeah, Worf's not here. He was uh, asking about some some kind of incense that I could not procure." from him aside from replicated and uh, that turned into a little bit of a, a, a kerfuffle this was more than a standard rudeness and uh, Dax is like oh okay well I'll uh, I'll keep looking 
Dax does that thing where she's like, hey, computer, where's Worf right now? And the computer says that Worf is in his quarters and that Kern is with him. Yeah. I don't think that that's right, that the computer can just tell you who is with a person. That seems like yeah. a like Kern would have a right to privacy at some level. Right. Well, she hasn't even gotten, like, because when she, she was there when... Worf got the call from Odo, but it was just, as far as she knows, he was just called away to deal with some Klingon. Right. But when she bumps into Odo on the promenade, he's like, oh yeah, it was, it was this guy Kern, who's apparently Worf's brother. Yeah. And that's when she realizes the significance of the incense. Right, because Dax is a collector of, of Klingon trivia and cultural knowledge. And so she's, she's like, added the Don G incense to the Kern appearance. And that equals Worf is going to ceremonially kill him. Yeah. She's kind of a weeaboo, but for Klingons. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and when she hears about this incense and, and hears about Worf's brother, she, she puts two and two together very quickly. Yeah. And we smash cut to Worf's quarters where he is preparing the ritual blade to plunge into Holy shit, the loafiest chest I think we've ever seen. Yeah, and like it's sort of in the dark a little bit, so you can't make it out completely, but wow, that is yeah. a that is a real thing. Boy, I also went back to see if this was the same suicide knife that Worf had on the D. Uh-huh. It's not. Yeah, brand this new is knife. Like a, this is a nicer a nicer more symmetrical blade. Doesn't seem like he poison dipped it. Also, like, that would have been a nice precaution against what happens, which is that Dax and Odo bust in, and Kern has been stabbed, but they, uh, you know, beam him immediately to the infirmary, and Odo uh, Odo lets Worf know, like, hey, if he dies, uh, that's, uh, that's going to be a murder charge on you, bub. This is going to sound like faint praise. I don't mean it like that. Like, I so rarely feel very surprised watching this show. Uh-huh. But I was very surprised when Worf stabbed his brother here. I thought for yeah. sure that Dax would get there in time to prevent it. Yeah, you thought you thought she was gonna she was gonna beat the buzzer. Yeah, but <laughs> she does not. <laughs> you know what else really surprised me about this scene? We go to a wide shot of of Worf's quarters. He did not keep that weird chair when yeah. he moved. <laughs> nope. You would th- think that you make a, ch- a choice like that in your home decor that you're you're going to stick to your guns, but uh, apparently he took the opportunity leaving the D to uh, to unburden himself of the weird chair. I wonder if the balls chair went up for auction after TNG ended <laughs> and and they just lost it at that point. Did it go down with the D when it uh, when it crashed on that planet? Oh shit! I, you know it did. You know it did. Fuck. Worf's balls chair is somewhere on Viridian 3 right now. Just like <laughs> just like the jungle, like totally overgrowing the saucer. <laughs> you know what's crazy? Like, I wonder whatever happened to the saucer. Did they go back and get it and, and salvage it? They had to have, right? That's like, that's yeah. legit. That's valuable Federation materiel right there. We talked about how like the Moriarty computer chip is probably is probably in, involved in that crash, right? Yeah. So like yeah. And, and and there's a million other little like like objects that got created and, and yeah. 
squirreled away over the course of, of yeah. that show. God, Who knows, I, man? I cannot believe that they never did anything with that on DS9 or in Voyager or, or anything else. Like, that yeah. ship is so iconic. And they, you know there are galaxy-class models around. I think that, like, one of the... One of the most fun things in the newer Disney Star Wars movies is seeing like planets where an entire star destroyer is yeah. is decaying, a, you know, a crash from decades ago that's still there. Yeah, like that's such a cool idea, and boy, it would be fun to see the the Star Trek version of that. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Maybe they'll do that in the Picard series. God, ah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, speaking of taking great care with props that seem like they'll be worth something someday, they do not do that with the knife that uh, that Worf stabbed Kern with, because the next <laughs> shot is just it, like, unbagged, untagged, sitting on Cisco's desk with blood still all over it. Whose fault is that? That's Odo's fault, right? Odo, you gotta bag the evidence. <laughs> Yeah. That's going to get everybody's fingerprints all over it. Worf's going to walk for this. Yeah. The chain of custody on the prosecution's key exhibit will have been broken, and the whole case is going to be thrown out. I am sad that uh, the blood on the knife isn't bubblicious colored like Star Trek VI. I'm, that always bothers me. Give me that pink blood. Yeah. They didn't need to do that. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking a pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my dad's So the issue here is that Worf is supposed to be head of Klingon shit on Deep Space Nine, but all of his Kern drama is making him incapable of conducting that important business. And there's some pretty intense Klingon shit going on with this whole explosions in space near Bajor situation. He's torn, right? He's a, he's a, he's a man in between cultures. He yeah. thinks he can get away with a ritualistic murder in his quarters, but he can't. And Cisco lights him up over this. We're not talking about some obscure technicality, Mr. Worf. You tried to commit premeditated murder. And I thought it was very interesting to hear Cisco talk about this issue in this episode because he's like, he's basically writing for like, isolate this man from members of his species because they're a bad influence on him right now. I don't want Worf anywhere near other Klingons right now. For people who don't watch Star Trek Discovery for some reason, they might not get this reference, but in the episode in season two where they return to Saru's home planet and then like intentionally make him not a part of the mission once they're there, it, yeah. it feels like that, like isolating the best person for a job W slash R slash T, their own culture. <laughs> right. It's a, it's a pretty painful thing to decide. Because Worf is really trying to remain Klingon. Yeah. In this episode. <laughs> Speaking of discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Of course he wants to remain Klingon, but he also wants to remain apart from everyone. And that is a tension in him. Like, he wants to be alone. Right. He makes decisions throughout this episode that, that, that seek to other himself. I can dig it, man. Yeah. Sometimes I never want to be around anyone. They do an interesting crosscut here. They crosscut from 10 out of 10 Cisco to super chill Cisco yeah. talking to <laughs> O'Brien and Kira, and it's a little I, whiplashy emotionally. I love the, like, the like using the amount that 
Cisco has chilled out as an indicator of the passage of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like what a fun cut that was. Yeah. And he's just, uh, he's like down in the ripple mat, like having a cup of coffee and, um, and sending O'Brien and Kira out on B story stuff. Like go take the little D out and see if you can figure out what is going on just on the other side of the Bajoran border with these cloaked explosions. I like the assignment, and I like who he has assigned to it. You know, so often you associate the little D with Worf in command. It's yeah. nice to see uh, Kira get the big chair here. Yeah. That's what you want. And uh, Kira knows that they have lay-flat seats on the little D, so yeah. she's jumping at the opportunity. And nobody has ever grown really long fingernails <laughs> grabbing the wrong bowl of fruit. No, you uh, can have any there. piece of fruit you want on the little D. Yeah. The, the world is your horn of plenty on the little D. Kern's going to survive his stab wound because they've stuck him in an iron lung type situation in the infirmary. Oh, I was interpreting that as like one of those uh, pyramids that, that woo-woo new agey healers use. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, like a copper pyramid shape and you, you lie under it and it makes you feel better. I think we what we can agree on is that it's a totally new piece of medical technology we're seeing deployed. I don't remember seeing this thing before. It's an obviously Cardassian piece of medical technology, yeah. which I thought was interesting. Like often the doctor has the most Federation looking stuff yeah. on this show. And it's interesting that I guess maybe like this is the one that works with his bio bed. I really love the composition of this scene as they intercut between Kern in a, in a close-up and kind of a, a mediumist shot shooting up at Worf with that, yeah. that run of lights behind him. Yeah. That's, so it's you, like... you rarely see the, the ceiling on Deep Space Nine, and this is right. a moment where you do. Yeah, and, uh, and it, it's, it's beautifully lit also, like the... It's almost all rim light on Worf, yeah. and he has so many like lumps and bumps in his loaf that you can resolve a a facial uh, expression yeah. despite that. Kern's like, uh, grab a triangular pillow and place it over my face. <laughs> I promise I won't scream loud enough to penetrate. The foam. <laughs> Worf is like, you need a job. <laughs> yeah, so Kern is going to recover, and Worf is not going to help him do suicide by Worf anymore. <laughs> and so, so the idea is that Kern is going to get a job as a security guy in uh, the Bajoran militia. And... Uh, I love this idea. Like, Worf has to go kind of, like, make the case to Odo that this is a great idea. Yeah. And Odo is pretty skeptical at first because Kern has a lot of notches in his belt, as they say, but not a lot of experience, like, doing non-lethal uh, <laughs> enforcement of of rules and regulations. Yeah. Odo is reading uh, the resume that Worf hands him. From Kern and and he's like, well, Kern has some pretty strong work experience and he he knows Excel and PowerPoint, but uh, <laughs> his experience is lacking in some non-lethal area of police. 
I would love to see the episode Police Academy colon Kern in training. <laughs> what they don't know can't stop them. We don't quite get that. Like, we get to see him, like, being, you know, kind of shadowed by Odo in his first day on the job. Hey, before we get there, Ben, why is Odo treating Worf like shit in this scene? Like, Odo goes so far as to say, like, you're really gonna owe me a favor, asshole. And Mr. Worf, you'll find I'm a man who collects on his debts. But, like, why is Odo pissed at Worf? If anything, Worf should have carryover pissed off feelings toward Odo for being a shitty constable from the Shikar episode, right? What's happening? I don't know. I mean, Odo did very recently watch Worf shove a knife into a guy's chest in cold blood oh yeah Odo's standpoint. you know i forgot about that all right yeah, yeah that makes sense because because you're seeing it from from wharf's point of view yeah but but from Odo's point of view that was crazy <laughs> <laughs> and that was only 15 minutes ago <laughs> don't forget me just put the evidence on my desk nope don't put it in that bag just put it on the desk. <laughs> Kern works for like the glorified TSA of the station. They put him in a brown uniform like as a, he's a UPS man. He looks like the recliner inside a man cave. <laughs> in in his Barca lounger getup, he's like, yeah, he's like tossing a cargo bay as... He's like, liquids smaller than three ounces <laughs> should be removed from your checked bag. Your laptop must go in a gray bin, but an iPad may remain inside your backpack. (laughs) If you untuck your shirt so that it covers your belt, I won't notice it and make you take it off. Even if you know it won't set off the metal detector, I'll make you take it off. I don't really care about security. I care about enforcing rules. This is a pre-check line. You may keep your footwear on. <laughs> you have a series of seven S's on your boarding pass. Therefore, you have been randomly selected for, to go in <laughs> to go in the body scanner. <laughs> Who knew we had Kern impression going? That's great. Where has yeah. this been our whole life? I don't know. <laughs> this is dumb. Curtain's fun. What are you doing now? Karen O'Brien head out back to where they they were when they were in their runabout the first time, and they're scanning around and just like out of nowhere a Vorcha class battle cruiser explodes in space in front of them, like comes out of cloak as it's exploding, and it's it's kind of like that um, that like Americans offering Russians emergency help in a like Cold War nuclear context. You're telling me that this is a massive rescue operation. That is correct. They're like, hey, can uh, can we do anything to help? And they're like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need you. I would have liked to have heard explosions in the background of this hail, you know? As it is, the captain of this Vorcha-class ship is, like, pretty calm and cool, but his ship is fucked up. It looks like it rolled over into a ditch. 
We do not require assistance at this time. Do not approach us. Understood, Dravana. His ship is, is is badly, badly damaged. Lots of people getting hurt. It seems like he has to check with somebody when when they they're like, "Hey, we could yeah. tow you to Deep Space Nine. He's like, "Okay." <laughs> Kira's like, "Deploy the winch." <laughs> and, and Chief O'Brien is like so psyched that he bought that off the aftermarket parts website for yeah. his Wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, later on, Odo has to radio Worf to say that uh, Kern is in the infirmary because uh, he let himself get shot. He attempted suicide by Boslik, yeah. which is a pretty bad way to go. I think we met this guy before. He's the kind of short-statured captain of the of the ship that Kern was pressing earlier. And uh, I guess this guy... This guy pulled a, a piece on him when, when Kern discovered some contraband in his cargo hold, so. What are you going to do about it? You won't <laughs> shoot me, Boslik. I fucking <laughs> dare you. Come on, shoot me. Shoot me right here. I'll lift up my shirt and show you my weird <laughs> loafy chest. <laughs> uh, Yeah. And uh, Kern is like the sort of patient at this point that's like, you know, Wolf, my life is in your hands, and when lives are in your hands, they are incredibly safe. (laughs) Because that's Worf's deal, right? Like, ritualistically, you know, if you set aside the ritual from before the show open, Mm -hmm. every time Worf has been given the chance to kill someone in a ritualistic fashion, he chooses not to. So yeah. at this point in the episode, I felt like Kern was pretty safe. Yeah, but he's kind of on the outs with his boss. Odo <laughs> is like, hey, like, we can't have a guy who is trying to get killed on on the team. Yeah, yeah. The little D has towed the Dervana to Deep Space Nine, and it is looking totally ratchet parked yeah. outside the station. Good uh, ship gore. And I like really the, the pan down from the from the ship to the station. Love it. Love this. Yeah. They so literally they're... kitbashed the ship model here. Great. <laughs> they have a McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where they're kind of talking through what is going on with all of this cloaked explosion shit. And... They're, they're like, yeah, like it kind of seems like a torpedo hit this ship, but we would have been able to detect torpedo traces. Like one thing that's crazy about this episode is that like everywhere they go, they're like, I don't detect any cloaked ships. And it's like, yeah, that's the point of cloaking, right? <laughs> <laughs> like suddenly cloaked things are like have like very easy to find uh, signatures that you can scan for in space. Yeah. But yeah, they come up with the idea that this is actually a minefield. And they call it a mine. A mine! That the Klingons are surreptitiously laying, and that something something went wrong with one of these mines, and they like accidentally bumped it with their ship. They need to figure out the coordinates for all these mines, because by virtue of their being cloaked, like there's no way to find them unless you actually run a ship into one. And right. Worf has the idea to use Kern and to board the Dervana in order to get said coordinates. Yeah. The better idea would be Odo, but Odo and Worf are not getting along right now, <laughs> I think. Yeah, so 
Worf and, uh, and Kern are going to bring over there. Worf impersonating a Klingon to do it. Joke. I got it. Yeah, they have to get uglied up a little bit. Yeah. Before going. That's fun. And they also, like, I guess they have some bodies from the infirmary, so they're able to mimic the DNA of one of them in Worf's hand. I liked this little bit of tradecraft. Yeah, me too. They're getting into their suits, and Kern feels like feels alive again for the first time. You know, he, he likes to be in the in the Klingon armor and not the Bajoran pajamas. I thought for sure he was going to find a way to get himself killed on this mission. Like I thought that was going to be the point of this. Yeah. Instead, it's a straight up and down spy mission. Worf like, and Kern. Board. Like, why didn't he throw himself in front of that guy with the knife in his sleeve? Yeah, that would have been a good way to go. Then it's suicide by Klingon, and then it's full of honor. Yeah, that would have been great. Honorary. There's a fun scene here where, you know, there's a scene sometimes where you get, like in an action film, you get someone who's not good at computers trying to do computers. There must be an on button somewhere. Press the Apple thing. And so Worf and Kern are, uh, are, are clicking around trying to find the mine location. And Worf is like, I have found a folder called mine locations. And Kern, <laughs> Kern is like, you fool. You do not hide your pornography in a folder called pornography. You hide it in a folder called work documents. <laughs> and so Kern knows to click on something else that's not mine locations in order to get the mine locations. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's that super high level Klingon tradecraft yeah. that that uh, is always so impressive. Click on the folder called "Not Pornography." <laughs> you will find there are several subfolders that also say "Not Pornography." <laughs> All of this can be circumvented if you just search for the .avi file extension at the system level. (laughs) Or in the recently downloaded list in the BitTorrent application. Ben, this is the last Kern episode, and it fucking sucks. It means we're retiring our Kern impression, and we're not going to see Kern again. It's too bad. He never got to turn to Worf and say... Worf, the door to Klingon society for you is as complicated as any door. (laughs) So this Klingon lieutenant that catches them, like, goes for Worf with a knife, and Kern kills him. And, uh, you know, his, his, his disruptor blast leaves only a pile of mashed potatoes with a whisk sticking out of it. But on Klingon ships, they don't have that alarm that goes off. So they're able to complete the mission. Awesome. <laughs> morn, morn, morn. sweet morn, morn, morn. You hear everybody? Morn. Stop. Hammer time. The mission goes well, though, Enterprise. Mm. They get the mine locations. It's a real uh, Operation Chromite success story. Uh huh. And they they go back to the station. They get an attaboy from Cisco, and then. Uh, they go their separate ways, like uh, Kira and O'Brien head out on the little D to address the mine problem, and Worf uh, goes to like drink with Dax and bemoan the tough spot his brother is in. And what she comes up with is real fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And the idea is fucked. Who is complicit 
in this idea is fucked, who is yeah. not involved at all in this idea is also fucked. Right. Because Dax has proposed killing Kern without actually killing him. As far as we know, right, Kern isn't isn't a party to this decision? Nope. It's like it's it's like murdering someone's mind. Right. Why would a why would Bashir agree to do this? This would have been so much more interesting if Kern was party to this because it would be okay if he were. If Kern was like, "Yeah, do it." Like destroy my mind. And then and then they went ahead and did it, then the same outcome happens and it feels a little better because it part of it is his choice. Yeah. But they do this to him instead of with him, and that makes this plan super dark. There's an argument to be made that he is so, like, beyond help that it needs to be this way. Like, you could kind of make the argument that Worf is doing what Kern asked him to do in killing his mind. Yeah. But it doesn't make any sense that Bashir would agree to be part of it without Kern, like, expressly... like. They, what they should have is like some kind of like ritual contract that they sign and then like make secret in some interesting Klingon-y way. It feels like as someone who practices medicine, there should be some things that you do as a doctor that rise to command level permission. And I think destroying a patient's mind should rise to that level. I think Cisco needs to be involved. Right. Before they lobotomize Kern, you know? Yeah. Also, I would prefer if you do it with an ice pick. (laughs) It seems I've been on the show enough times that a clip show device might be usable. (laughs) And it's weird, right, that they do it off screen, too. You never see the device. You never see, you know, the, the sparkle in his eye fade. It's just sort of a... A, a thing that they talk about, and it's a thing that happens off screen. And then the next time you see him, he has, like, different loaf. Yeah, like, they need to do three things to him. It's a loaf transplant, it's it's changing his genetic code, and it's wiping his memory. I've got to believe that, like, there's a deception in this that is dishonorable on some level, right? Yet that's never referred to in any way. I mean, it seem, sort of seems like the elevator going to every floor... On, in the building on Shabbos because you're not supposed to push the button. Mm. Kind of kind of a loophole. <laughs> like uh-huh. like sometimes when your like religion doesn't map that well onto the world you find yourself into, you just have to find workarounds. Yeah. Like there is a lot that is extraordinary here <laughs> up to and including the fact that just like a friend of their dad's comes and is like, I am your dad and you forgot everything, but I'll teach you every like what was this guy doing that he was like available to just come out of retirement and and uh, and rehabilitate Kern? I think we need more time with Nagra. I think yeah. that is super clear. Like this also guy... would be fun to see Nog meet Nagra. Yeah, yeah, it's a real uh, Uma Oprah situation. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Yeah. The button on the episode is this moment where Kern, who is now Rodek wakes up, meets Nagra, and then on his way out of the infirmary is like, hey, who are you? He looks at Worf and he's like, do I know you? And Worf (laughs) is like, I don't know you and I don't have a family. 
And that's it. Way to make it about yourself. <laughs> I'm the one suffering from amnesia. <laughs> Your bedside manner leaves much to be desired. And it's like uh, kind of the end of The Incredible Hulk. Worf walks out of the infirmary and into a wide shot on the promenade. You know, away from one family and into what to be considered another. But, you know, neither family is a family that he wants a relationship with. He's just utterly alone, and it's by choice. Yeah. Pretty dark ending. Did you like the episode, Adam? What I liked most of all was uh, David Livingston's direction. This looked visually like a fairly unique episode uh, in terms of its interesting angles and its framing and its lighting. I really liked it, and I really, like, latched on to some of the uh, interesting compositions that he did. I mean, yeah. I and I love Kern. I think it's a little bit like it's a little bit of a retread every time he shows up and he just makes fun of Worf for how soft he's gotten. But this time, maybe more than any other, he really gets to Worf with how soft he's become. Like yeah. Worf has a conversation with Dax at one point and he's like, "You know, I used to be able to tell when someone was trying to kill me just by looking at someone, that's a Klingon superpower. Like you look at someone's <laughs> eyes and you can tell if they're trying to kill you and I don't have that anymore. And that was an interesting bit of Klingon trivia that I don't think we've gotten before. I like to see non-human values and human values collide and they really fucking collide in this episode in a way that is uncomfortable for so many people. Yeah, I started to talk about it a little bit in... Uh, the thing but like one position cisco gets in it which is interesting you know given his place in history as a star trek captain especially is that he's like i can't tolerate this amount of cultural diversity or like there's yeah, like there's there a are limit. limits to tolerance of cultural diversity yeah yeah that's a that's a hard thing to say yeah i'm sad that this is the last appearance of kern I really like that scene where uh, the little D detonates one mine and the, as a warning and then detonates a whole sequence of them. Like that yeah. seemed like a unique and fun effect. And I like that it was Kira that did it. It's like flushing pheasants. Yeah. I'd like to see Kira in the chair more, like running yeah. the D. I think that's fun. Uh, but yeah, I think all in all, like adding all of those things up, I think it adds up into an episode that I liked. What about you? I really liked the episode. I think... Um... It makes the case for Kern being a great character, and it is a real shame that it ends his character. Yeah. Um, I feel like I feel like there's a way to find a solution to this problem. For how many more seasons there are in Deep Space Nine, and with how great Tony Todd is, yeah. like there are ways to bring him back and make it interesting. Sure. Bring back Nagra, too. Yeah. Nagra seems really interesting. It's an interesting place to put a dead end for a character i'll yeah. say that i agree you know ben one area of our show that is never a dead end is the endless spring of priority one messages <laughs> that's true you want to see what we have over there i would love to priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental 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 yeah it's extra the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. You know, Endless Spring is the brand of soap that I buy. It's a, it's a generic version of Irish Spring, and yeah. uh, it's a tremendous value. 
Yeah, you buy you buy it by the bale at Costco. You have to cut your own bars. You get it in just one <laughs> giant bar, and you've got to cut the little bars they, off. They give you one of those weird wire cutters. Uh huh. Yeah, like cutting cheese. Yeah, Adam, we have a couple of priority one messages here. The first is of a commercial nature. Oh. It goes like this: To all the jazz horse lovers, if you mourn the passing of genuine or have been attacked by cougars, you will like the fantasy western series The Devil's Revolver by V.S. McGrath. Hetty Alabama's on a desperado quest to save her sister. At her side, a cursed gun that ages her a year for every life she takes, and the body counts rising. The Devil's Revolver books one through three are available now. Visit devilsrevolver.com and look for cameos by Ben and Adam in book four, the Legend of Diablo coming in 2019. Holy what? shit. Wow. Damn. Oh, check uh, out the author. This is V.S. McGrath. Yeah. She is uh she's someone I'm familiar with on Twitter. She's actually yeah. uh she's actually a, a good Twitter commenter. Wow. Just the cover art alone is really cool looking. Yeah. Whoa. That's cool. Neat. Oh, I love the premise, too. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. So visit devilsrevolver.com for excerpts and reviews of the Devil's Revolver series and get involved. We're going to be in this thing. <laughs> wow. I mean, maybe uh, maybe Genuine lives on. I mean, who knows? That, that that's great. What, that's what you get to do when you're an author. You get to, you get to write real-life wrongs, <laughs> like the death of Genuine. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Matt H. And this message is for victims of imposter syndrome. The message goes like this in DS9S3E21, around the one hour, 10 minute and 15 second mark. Adam said, quote, those guys are the kind of smart, fast, funny that I aspire to be, unquote. Then Ben agreed. I'd like to point out that within the first five minutes of S3E22, you are throwing off references to the Oregon Trail and the death of Artax like it's nothing. I've got news. You are that funny. Keep it up. Oh. Thanks, Matt H. I guess we are victims of imposter syndrome sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, anytime you're doing a creative endeavor, it's, it's endemic to that kind of work a little bit. I think I've just right. lived my life on this show with the thinking that, like, if I can just be funny to Ben, yeah. I can be satisfied in that. <laughs> but uh, that is, I'm, I'm frequently surprised and, and grateful that anyone else gets anything out of this show. So that's nice to hear. Thanks, Matt. It's really, really kind of you. Something I've thought a lot about is that, like, no, nothing anybody can tell you can prepare you for what it is like to have anyone outside of your self care about the work you're doing. <laughs> like, well put. It is It is like such a, it, it's something you just have to learn, you know, by doing. And if, uh, if we let little uh, misgivings like that fly sometimes, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think that's just us being honest about our internal lives with, with uh, everybody listening. Yeah, well put. Not necessarily like a thing we're proud of or anything, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's complicated. Yeah. 
Well, if you would like to complicate our lives by uh, getting a priority one message, you can head to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron. Yeah, complicate some cash in our pockets. Yeah, 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And we really appreciate the folks that do that. Thank you very much. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace. And I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Got it, got it, got that, got that, that gold press that. Hey, Adam. What is that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! My Shimoda occurs at a time that you can't see, and I... I mean, I understand. You can't see every moment of action on this show. But I ache to have seen the Boslik that shot Kern and, like, (laughs) what happened exactly in that moment. Because, like, Odo describes the scene. He's like, look... That Boslik could not even hold his his disruptor straight. Like he was fucked up and like shitting himself when he shot are, Kern. Are you picturing like a thing where he pulled it out and then Kern like slowly walked toward yeah. him and reached out and like put his thumb on the guy's trigger finger and yeah. pulled it for him? Yeah, like there is a scene there that is incredible that we don't get, and yeah. I'm sad that we don't get it. But in but I play it in my mind, and when I do so. The Boslik is my Shimoda. (laughs) What about you, Ben? In the last shot, as Kern, now a different guy, walks off, uh, there's a pack led among the people walking around on the promenade. And the pack led looks like he is holding a bunch of salumi, like some (laughs) cave-aged Italian sausages. (laughs) And I just like, I was like, yeah, pack led probably would have like a whole bunch of uh, cured meat that he would want to take from place to place. Sausages are good. Yeah, sausages man. make me feel full. <laughs> we look for sausages. <laughs> I love seeing pack leads on this show. I mean, from from what we learned about pack leads on TNG, like they they almost would seem to be the largest population on the station. Yeah. Given the 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 trade interests that they have. Right. They're around, man. Yeah. You yeah. totally see him. Yeah. Well, Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is season four, episode 15, The Bar Association. Tired of workplace mistreatment at the hands of his brother, Rom organizes all of Cork's employees into a union and goes on strike against the bar. Wow. Wow. What a timely episode. Yeah. Fun. I'm into that. I'm ready to get fired up for workers' rights. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be an episode that alienates a lot of people, but none of those Fuck people em. would ever listen to our show. <laughs> Very cool. All right. I'm going to head to our our game that we always play at the end of these shows. Uh, you guys can find it at gach.biz slash game. You're, of course, speaking of Game of Buttholes. Will of the Prophets, aren't you? Of course I am, Adam. And uh, I see that we are currently on square 14. Oh, well, that's convenient. We're on square 14 for episode 14. Hmm. How do you like that? I like it a lot. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right. I'm uh, going to roll. Got the dice in my hands. Do you want to just give this a, give this a puff? Did I win? Hardly. I've rolled a three, landing us on square 17, doorstep of a quirks bar, but this is a reg app. You know what always happens, Ben? I always roll ones. So 
the drunk episode is almost a certainty. The episode <laughs> after this one. That's what I would say. I mean, that's how probability works. Yep. <laughs> uh, you know how the end of our show works, Ben, is we thank a lot of people. We do. Uh, I think the, f- the people we owe the, the greatest thanks to are the people that go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and contribute to support the show on a monthly basis. It's uh, the reason that this is our main job now, and yeah. uh, we really, really appreciate uh, everyone that does that. Of course, if you're not in a position financially to support, uh, there's a lot of other ways that you can help us out. You can tell a friend or coworker or family member if you think they would like the show. Uh, recommend it to people and also recommend it online using social media, using the hashtag GreatestGen, or going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a nice review. Yeah, you know what's crazy is like you look at the metrics for this show and it continues to grow beyond yeah. all reason or understanding. <laughs> I don't oh, know uh, why. If you use the Overcast app on iOS, uh, which is a great podcatcher app, yeah, it's the uh, one they I have use. a feature now where you can you can like bounce out a, a minute of audio from a podcast in video form. And it like makes a little a little video graphic of of the of what the show's show art is, and uh, and you can share that on social media. It's a really fun way to uh, you know isolate a, a favorite moment from the show or something. If uh, if something makes you laugh, if you think other people would like it, uh, share it online using that little little feature. Yeah, I love sharing clips. That's fun. Super fun, and uh, we've we've seen a few on on social media already and it is really delightful to see what people what people pick if only i could share a clip of bill tilly or jj lendl i would but that's not how it works when we thank them for the work that they do uh, for our show jj lendl makes fun movie style posters for every episode that we release and uh bill tilly releases a trading card style pieces of artwork with uh with custom jokes that are just the best week in and week out. And uh, we appreciate their efforts both. Indeed we do. Hey, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, doing a wellness check for Raz and Plavim. <laughs> I'm just going to like put that out into the world. Haven't heard from either of them in a while. Uh, hope they're good. Yeah. We should thank um, Adam Ragusea, who made all the custom theme music for our show, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song, uh, for the, which was the original theme music for our show. And uh, all the uh, great folks at MaximumFun.org that help us with putting the show together every week. And uh, go go check out other shows on MaximumFun.org, including Friendly Fire, which is our war movie podcast we do with John Roderick. It's on tour right now. Go check out FriendlyFire.fm slash live if you're interested in seeing us live on tour doing something not this. We've not made plans to tour Greatest Gen, so this may be your only chance in a while to see us. Come out and see us. We'd love to see you. Come see us. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which seizes the means of production. Hell yeah. You better do one thing during the next episode, Ben. You better be wearing your fucking sabot. And you better be ready to fucking throw him. Hence the word sabotage. I would draw a fairly bright line between Luddites and workers who are trying to have a good contract with their employer, Adam. 
look. I don't I, think all people in the labor movement are anti-technology. I'm saying it, it might come to the point of, of throwing your Sebo into the machine. Okay. I mean, I'll wear them just in case. I'm not taking Sebo off the table. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.